Well, good morning. Growing up, a lot of my ideas about heaven were informed by two popular movies. Now, I know this is going to date me a little bit, but the first of those movies was a movie called Oh God, and it starred George Burns as God and John Denver. And then the second movie was a movie called Heaven Can Wait. Heaven Can Wait starred Warren Beatty. And Beatty played the role of a, of a professional football player who was mistakenly taken up into heaven before he was supposed to by his guardian angel. And in the movie, heaven looked like one big white cloud with normal looking men dressed in suits greeting you as you arrived. There was also a huge silver plane in the midst of the clouds with a futuristic set of silver stairs waiting for those arriving to board. Now, as you can tell from the pictures, it looked peaceful and rather angelic. But I never could quite figure out why in heaven there was this huge silver plane. But nonetheless, this informed kind of my views of heaven. And then in high school, when I started studying the Bible more, my thoughts began to shift. I still thought of heaven as, as somewhere up in, in the skies, and I still kind of thought of it as a, a, as a cloud. But I also thought of it more as I read scripture that there were lots of, of creatures flying around. And then in the middle of all these creatures, there was this huge gold throne in which God sat on the throne. And, and then Jesus was sitting on the throne next to him. And then at the end times, we were all going to just be lifted up in the air and we're going to be in heaven. It was going to be a continual feast. And like Peter Pan, we could fly everywhere. That was kind of my view of heaven in high school. Now, I know some of you are probably laughing, thinking, I can't believe that Todd thought heaven was going to be like that. And others of you who are honest are thinking that you also kind of have the same ideas of heaven. But when I was in seminary, as I began studying the Bible more in depth, I began to have a different view of heaven and a different view of eternity. And about six months ago, a friend of mine told me to read John Eldridge's book, All Things New. And as I began to read All Things New, it was about heaven and eternity. It really is the most accurate and pastoral book that I've ever read on heaven. And so as I was putting together the sermon series for the winter and spring and the summer, I decided that it'd be a great for us as a church during this Eastertide season to do a four-week series called The Hope of Heaven. And this week, we're going to be looking at where Jesus is now and what will happen to the earth and to us when he comes again. And then next week, Daniel is going to answer the question about what happens to evil and all the injustices that have been committed throughout history. And then the third week, Jim is going to be looking at what we are going to be doing for all eternity. And then I'll close out the series looking at when Jesus comes again. And what are we to do as we wait for his coming? So this morning, I want us to start by answering two questions. The first question is, where is Jesus now? And then secondly, what will happen when he comes again? Let me pray for us. 
Father, we're grateful this morning just for the privilege of worshiping you. And Lord, I just would ask that you would take away distractions that might be going on in our homes. That you would settle the hearts of the kids and settle our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us a, a new vision of heaven. A new vision of what's going to happen when you come back, Jesus, to consummate your kingdom. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So the first question that I want us to answer this morning is, where is Jesus now? Now, as I mentioned last week, after Jesus was raised from the dead, he first appeared to Mary outside of the tomb. And then Luke tells us in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. The gospel accounts tell us that during these 40 days, Jesus appeared to the 11 disciples, to over 500 people on the mountain in Galilee, and then he even appeared to his half-brother, James. And then in Acts chapter 1, we read that after all of these appearances, the disciples asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And then Jesus replies in verses 7 through 11. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come the same way. As you saw him go into heaven. Now, from these verses, Luke tells us that after 40 days of appearing to his followers, Jesus ascended into heaven, where he resides until he comes again to consummate his kingdom. So, if Jesus is in heaven right now, the natural question that you might be asking yourself this morning is where and what is heaven? And what is Jesus doing there? Now, the very short answer to where and what heaven is like, we don't really know for sure. But God does give us a glimpse through the revelation that he gave John in chapters 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation. John writes in Revelation 4.1, After this I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Now, some suggest that Jesus ascended up into the sky. And since John uses the phrase come up here, that heaven must be above us, located somewhere up in the skies. But as we look at the whole of Scripture and the many uses of the word heaven or heavens, 
Most scholars suggest that heaven is not somewhere up above or far away from us, but instead it should be viewed as a different reality, a different dimension that is close by. C.S. Lewis captures this reality very well in the Chronicles of Narnia. Narnia is not someplace far away. It's a parallel universe that the children can quickly access through a wardrobe in their home. This parallel universe is confirmed as you look at Revelation 4, verse 2. As John is taken from our universe, immediately finds himself in heaven. Therefore, heaven must be closer than we presume and only visible when God chooses to pull back the veil and give us a glimpse into it. Now, as God continues to pull back the veil for John, John uses illustrative language to describe what he sees. And it's so majestic. John tells us, It's a universe full of thrones with angels and all of its inhabitants worshiping. He tells us that at the center of heaven is a large throne of God. And sitting on it is God and encircling the throne of God is a rainbow representing God's eternal covenant. And surrounding the throne are 24 other thrones with 24 elders sitting on them. Most commentators agree that these 24 elders, they represent 24 angelic beings who are the heavenly representatives of the whole body of the faithful. Now, John continues in chapter four, verse five, and he says that he sees flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder come from the throne, testifying to the power, the authority and the all inspiring nature of God. He says that there is a sea of glass, clear as crystal, suggesting that there's a separateness of God, his holiness. And then in chapter 4, verses 6b through 7, John tells us that there are four living creatures covered covering their eyes in front and in back so that they could see toward God and also toward creation. And while we don't know exactly who these four living creatures are, we can safely say that they stand in some way for the whole of creation. And because they are that close to God's throne, they are very important. Day and night, John tells us that these four creatures, they, they shout out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as they sing out, the 24 elders or angels, they add their voices, worshiping God. And then John continues in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, saying, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seal? And then John said, no one in heaven or on earth was able, was able to open the scrolls 
And he began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scrolls and look into it. But then one of the elders told John, weep no more. Behold, the lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, John saw a lamb standing there. He saw Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the lion of Judah, the one who was slain, took the scroll and he opened it. And all the creatures began to shout praise, praises to Jesus. Jesus has been given the scroll representing human history. The world's destiny, the meaning of life and all of our lives. And he has broken the seals so that history might unfold as God and Jesus reign over all of heaven and all of earth. And as God and Jesus are in heaven and they're reigning all over all of earth, we also know from Jesus's words in John 14 Verses two and three, that while in heaven, Jesus is preparing a place for all of us who profess faith in him. And in John 14, verses two through three. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and I prepare a place for you, I will come again. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Jesus is preparing a home for us. He's preparing houses for us. He's preparing a place for us. But not only is he preparing a place for us. Paul also tells us in Romans eight thirty four that he's interceding on our behalf. Paul says this, Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So where is Jesus and what is he doing? Jesus Christ, our Savior, is in heaven. A parallel universe sitting at the right hand of God. And as he and God are unfolding history and reigning over heaven and earth, Jesus, full of love and grace, has not only prepared a way for us through his death and resurrection, he is preparing a place for us. And he is interceding to the Father on our behalf. And so contrary to Bette Midler's song that suggests that God is up in heaven, just looking down on us, really passive, not doing anything, we see through God's word that he is active that he is working on our behalf, that he is reigning, that he's interceding for us and that he is preparing a place for us. So now that we've answered the question, where is Jesus now? I want to briefly answer the question. What will happen when he comes again? What will happen when Jesus Christ comes again? Now, because of the dispensational movement in the 80s and the 90s, many evangelicals believe that when Jesus comes again, 
followers of Christ will be taken up to heaven. The earth will be destroyed and we'll spend the rest of eternity eating one huge feast after another. But Dallas Willard says this understanding is not true at all. As he spent time studying the gospel of Jesus, Dallas concluded this. The life we now have as the persons. The life we now have as the persons we now are will continue and continue in the universe in which we now exist. Our experience will be much clearer, richer and deeper, of course, rooted in the broader and more fundamental reality of God's kingdom and will accordingly have far greater scope and power. John echoes this truth at the end of Revelations in verse 21. In chapter 21, verse 1 through 5, he says this, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be them, will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated, seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Now, as we look at those five verses, the key phrase in this verse is coming down out of heaven. John tells us that when Jesus comes again, we don't go up into heaven. But instead, a new city, a new Jerusalem will be coming down to us. The Greek word for new here is the word kainos. Kainos doesn't mean new, like creating something new. It means to make new, to renovate. In these verses, we see that God is not going to destroy the heavens and earth and start over. He promised his followers after the flood that he would never destroy the earth again. And so when Christ comes again, he is going to complete the renovation of the existing heavens and earth. And, and for any of you who have done a renovation to your house, you know that in order to make things new, to renovate your house, you have to take sometimes what is old out. And this is exactly what John is referring to that often gets misinterpreted when he tells us that the first heaven and the first earth passed away. God is not going to do a total demo of the earth, but instead is going to destroy what is necessary like evil and sin and sickness and death and Satan in order to renovate the heavens and the earth. When those things are gone, he's going to restore creation back to its original beauty that Adam and Eve once experienced in the Garden of Eden. Isaiah tells us that the lion will lay down with the lamb. All of us who have professed faith in Christ throughout the centuries We'll receive our new resurrection bodies. We'll be made perfect as God is perfect. <clears throat> and we will not only worship him for all eternity, 
but we will also fulfill the creation mandate that he first gave Adam and Eve to fill the earth and to subdue it. This is our certain future when Christ comes again. And knowing this future gives us hope. And this hope enables us to persevere regardless of our circumstances. The pandemic is real and it's awful. But we have a future reality that is even more real and more wonderful. And having our hope set on this certain reality will shape how we live today, tomorrow, and the next day. And as I was thinking about this whole idea of this hope of this, this future reality and how it would shape our days and how we live, I couldn't help but think of a book that I read this summer. It was called The Tattooist of Auschwitz. It's a true story of, of a Jewish man who was assigned to tattoo the numbers on his fellow prisoners as they entered the camp. And the story follows his experience in the concentration camp. And it's an incredible love story between him and one of the female prisoners. Now, I don't want to spoil the ending like I normally do for you in, in regards to their relationship and what happens. But I will tell you that throughout the book, there was a real difference in the camp between those who maintained hope and dreamt of a life beyond the camp and those who did not. Those who had hope had a far better chance of surviving than those who didn't. Hope is a powerful force in our world. We see this in the survivors of Auschwitz, and we see this throughout the history of the church. The fact that when Jesus returns, he is going to finish his great renovation project of the heavens and the earth gives us hope this morning. It gives us the courage to endure the social distancing now. And it gives us the courage to hug one another again, to visit in one another's homes again, to go to restaurants again, and most importantly, to gather in this space again to worship our living God. We can do this because we know where Jesus is now. And we know what he is going to do when he comes again. Movies like, oh God, and heaven can wait, informed my views of heaven when I was young. But I'm so grateful for God's word, which helped shape my mind and my heart around the truth of what heaven really is. And what it's going to be like when Jesus comes back and we get to spend all of eternity with him. I'm excited about the next three weeks and unpacking these truths more fully as a church body. And as we do, I believe God is going to continue to deepen not only our faith and love for him, but also make us more of a hopeful people. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.